So uh, this morning I woke up to discover my, my dog uh, likes to sleep in the closet. So that's not <laughs> unusual. Uh, but she had managed to pull down a made to measure white dress shirt uh, from my closet. And she slept on it uh, last night, which is, you know, not great for the shirt. Sure. Um, but what was worse for the shirt was she peed on it while she was oh, sleeping. Oh man, is that is that a normal the the late night pee? Is that? Uh, yeah, it is a that is irregular. It, it's not unheard of. Uh, occasionally that happens. Um, but uh, yeah, my white shirt—that's the first. <laughs> so. That's tough. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm not a shirt. It's a good thing that there are no occasions anymore where anyone needs dress shirts. Or I yeah, you may need uh, to just, if you want really. to give it a try, you run that to a professional, see if they can do anything about it. I called a professional. They actually said, wash it at home. They're, dry cleaning ain't going to help you. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's what it is, I guess. Um, well, I'm sorry for you, buddy. The perils of having a loving and adorable companion, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My guy is uh, getting pretty extremely old, um, and there is a lot of difficulty and uh, emotion that comes from that. Yeah, you know, mine too. And I think she's pretty obedient about, you know, pretty house trained. So I tend to think that when she does pee on something, it's pretty much that beyond her control. You know what I mean? Right. Right. So, well, how old is especially, she? Especially, especially sleeping. She is eleven. Oh wow! So you got her when she was pretty old. Yeah, yeah. No, I got her. You know, it was sort of pitched as a retirement sort of adoption. Uh-huh. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, Ozzy, my dog will turn sixteen in a month and a half, two months, month and a half. And, uh, yeah, man, he's just slowing down a lot. His back legs are, uh, getting a little weaker. He, I don't know. It makes me sad to think about, and I'm just terrified about his inevitable passing because I have one child. I mean, I have two kids under three who love the dog to death. One of whom is like, you know, capable of explaining his love for the dog and and talks to the dog and like I don't know how we're gonna deal with that because I'm gonna be a mess because this fucking guy is my best friend for 15 years. It's yeah. tough. I don't know what I'm gonna yeah. do. <laughs> yeah, it's a double, this turned it's, into it's a really a emotional open to the podcast. My God. 
I know. I didn't realize we were going to such a dark place. Um, all right. Should we talk some pop culture? <laughs> Please. <laughs> yeah. Up a little bit. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Good Lord. No, I, I, yeah, very... I mean, dogs, they're great. But also uh, the circle of life is a difficult thing to process. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. Dogs are great. Circle of life, man. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, all right. Let's. Uh, I would like to start with the last duel, if, uh, if we can. Yeah. And I would love to hear what you thought of the last duel. Well, I mean, I uh, we texted a little about this, so uh, slight spoiler alert. I have a, an idea of where you're going, and and I, I'm a little surprised. Um, I liked it. It was uh, relatively slow, especially the first forty minutes or so, uh, but. I found it engaging. I thought the acting performances were really great, and I thought it was an interesting bit of storytelling. Um, and I thought it, you know, had a decent amount to say about obviously the historical place and treatment of women, but maybe more to the point, uh, too many analogs to today. And so I thought it was a good movie, like probably a little too ponderous to be a great movie. But I really liked it. Uh, okay. I, <laughs> I felt almost literally word for word the opposite of what you uh, <laughs> just said. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, I mean, I, you know, I think it's interesting that because th- this is a uh, very, uh, I- you know, infrequently held opinion at the moment uh, that the last duel is not good. So I, I would like to hear your, your biggest problems with it. Yeah. All right. So I felt, um, you know, this was, I'm pretty sure I suggested this movie, right? Like this is not one where I was like, no, I did you know, not I mean, drag you kicking and screaming to this. No, I, I, I had heard the good things. Uh, you know, I, I am not a, a great lover of period pieces and, um, you know, I guess by virtue of historical accuracy, this is in fact an extremely white film. <laughs> but um, that's that's neither here nor there. Um, it Honestly, is... that probably is better for your enjoyment than a like film that accurately represents the horrifying treatment of people of color. Right? <laughs> correct, correct. And we get to focus on the horrifying treatment of of women, I guess. Right. I just found it to be a just a grim slog like you know like sometimes we talk about uh, like a a, a television series or a sitcom that we like and we talk about what a pleasure it is to just spend time in a world and and this is kind of the opposite of that like it was deeply i found it deeply unpleasurable to spend time in this world and i guess maybe that's part of what the film is trying to i think that's definitely part of it yeah yeah but like it was i this is probably the worst time i had at the movies since 12 years a slave um wow which i thought was (laughs) a much much better movie Uh you know what i mean in terms of quality and craft and i like Hmm. like 12 years of sleep was a really difficult experience that I almost quit on at one point. Um, but I felt like that, that difficulty was because it was doing its job so well. I didn't, I didn't get that from this. I, and, you know, obviously the, there's a, there's a central gimmick here that it's right. Like a gimmick is maybe a, 
Uh, I'm being a little bit flippant, but well, it's a storytelling device, right? The idea, yeah, there's a storytelling device, right? That you're telling the same story from three perspectives. It's a device shared by another thing we're going to watch later, yeah, um, or talk about later. The I just I don't I didn't get all that much out of the varying perspectives, if that makes sense. Other than obviously the you know the the female character's perspective is is really different, but everyone is just so it's all grim. You know, the male characters are pretty uniformly terrible. Uh, it, you know, it's shot in this way that is like super gray. Um, it is hyper-focused on hand-to-hand violence. Yeah. Um, and I just, I really, and it's super long. <laughs> and it, it's the kind of thing that's like, you know, if you were down to watch a, a, a horrifying rape scene from multiple perspectives, then good on you. Uh, <laughs> well, but uh, that's, that's, that's a not tough, me. Uh, that's a, that's a it, tough critique of every single person in the world who liked this movie. <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> You know, no, thank you. Listen, I know, I, I, I mean, I don't want to. I have black friends. This, but you know, there's, there's plenty of people and women specifically who are sensitive uh, to sexual assault who enjoyed this movie. So, you know, I, I can understand that reaction certainly because you're literally telling the truth. That is what happens in this film. Um, and well, it really does not for- shy away. <laughs> no, in either in any version of that, it's two, really two times. Not shy away. Um, yeah, it's twice. It's but, not in the first one. I guess. But it, that, like, I can imagine that being triggering for someone. So I don't want to be insensitive about it either. At the same time, like, yeah, not unlike Twelve Years a Slave. Like, this is tough stuff that actually happened, and it doesn't shy away from it. But I also don't think it it sensationalizes it. Um and that's what the movie's about. Uh, yeah. And, and yeah, I do I mean, think, like, is. you're right about It's funny because you're not wrong about any of the things, you know, the descriptions you're giving. It is dark. It is long. It is grim. Um, most of the, the male characters are pretty uniformly uh, awful, at least by today's standards. Um, but... I, like to me, there was still something interesting here, even if it was in fact a tough watch at times. Um, I just, you know, I mean, I don't know. And, and it, it, sometimes, uh, you know, I think I can be guilty of when I dislike and just not enjoying something of maybe oversimplifying it. But I, <laughs> I didn't feel like even what this movie had to say about treatment of women in the Middle Ages. I felt like really just kind of boiled down to, well, it was a pretty awful, <laughs> right? Like, 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 I don't think it had a lot of insight to me um, into the situation other than they just didn't have much really, they didn't really have rights. So they weren't seen as equal to equal human beings. And well, ask, some shit. answer me this and, and we shouldn't go too far down this road because uh, this is the toy department. And I don't think we want to make this a rape podcast, but uh how different is the scenario we saw from what might happen in in what could be called a date rape scenario right now, like tomorrow? 
Yeah, I mean, look, I, I, I think when you get to the the courtroom scene, right? Like that is, I, I think the best kind of version of a modern allegory, yeah. right? And that is, you know, it, it's some of the questions asked are similar, and some of the assumptions I think that get made, right, are more, um, more. Uh, unique to that age, right? In that trial. And, but, yeah, I just feel um, like by the time they brought it together with the courtroom scene, which is clearly the climax of the film, you were so annoyed and angry about your time being wasted that you weren't listening. Like, you weren't interested. You, you didn't want to hear it, basically. Yeah, yeah, but the courtroom scene isn't the climax of the film because the courtroom scene is pre-the duel. Yeah, okay. The it's but it's the it's the uh thematic climax of the film. How's that? Mm, maybe. Uh, who did you want to win the duel? Uh, definitely Were Matt you Damon's rooting for character. anybody? Oh. Just because yes. you're rooting for Jody Comer, right? <laughs> to not die. <laughs> to not be like savagely executed. Yeah, well, I guess we got Jody Comer gets the happy ending kind of right like yeah well i mean listen that's the epilogue well part of this story is that like sorry spoiler alert (laughs) yeah well spoiler alert but part of the story is definitely that like the only person who is capable of living her authentic truth and 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 like knows like has anything that we would call intelligence or wisdom by today's standard is this woman who's not allowed to, like, bring it to bear until all the men are dead? Yeah, I I didn't find Jody Comer's character or performance particularly compelling. Huh. I you know I think I think these are all excellent actors um, and excellent writers, but I didn't enjoy the writing and I didn't enjoy the acting. And I think Tony Scott, Tony Scott, right? Or Ridley Scott, I forget which Scott. Ridley. Um, Ridley Scott. Yeah, I I think he's a very good director, but I didn't enjoy the directing either. Huh. So, um, yeah, I just didn't. I I would strongly recommend you do not watch this movie. <laughs> but uh, maybe that's uh, particular to to my taste. But well, it I does really... put you in the in in the uh, you know significant minority. I think for whatever that's yeah. worth. I my reaction when I shut it off was God. I wish I had this evening back. I did it. <laughs> I gave up a whole evening for this. Well, I mean, I look, I, I, I don't think what you're saying is worthless because it it is dark and somewhat slow, again, especially for the first 40 minutes or so. Um, but it's I also think there were a lot of good things about it, and I, I don't agree with your grim assessment of the acting and directing. <laughs> yeah, I, look, that's a, it's another thing. Like, I, you know, I, I, I think Nicole Hobson was super talented and right. Uh, I like it bums me out because this was the last thing that she put on film ultimately. So, um, you know, and probably one of the more visible things that she will in her body of work, right? She made a lot of smaller indie movies. So, um, yeah, I just said uh, it was not, I, I had a really bad time. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's where I'm at. Um, sorry, why are you saying one of the last things she put on film? Didn't she pass? Or am I confusing no. her with someone else? Good God. You killed Nicole Hall of Center. I did. Okay. <laughs> I apologize to Nicole Hall of Center. Alive and well. Oh, my God. Who am I thinking of then? I have no idea. 
All right. Well, you we should edit that part out. Uh, <laughs> uh-huh. I'm gonna I'm gonna figure out later on who I was thinking of, uh, confusing with Nicole Hobbs. I don't know if I can edit um, it out, but good. I'll, I felt I'll less see. bad, but then I feel less bad for Nicole Hobbs. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, in many ways, like if there were other I'm people, he's alive. Need more stuff. If there were other people in your boat, like maybe they too will get good news from this podcast. So I don't know if we should edit it out. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm gonna figure out who I'm uh, confusing her with. Sure, go um, ahead. Who was the woman that Mark Maron was dating? Oh, yes. Um, she did pass. Um, and her name, and she is an indie film director. Her name is Lynn Shelton. Oh, that is exactly who I was thinking of. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. apologies to Nicole Hobbs. <laughs> yep. Yep, yep, yep. And and Lynn Shelton, it was she did largely direct uh you know, Mumblecore indie films. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly who I was thinking of. Oh man, I feel bad that I feel better and bad at the same time. Uh yeah. R.I.P. <laughs> R.I.P. Lynn Shelton, but uh congratulations to Nicole Holof Center for uh for not being dead. <laughs> oh man. All right. Um, what should we move on to something else? Yeah, I think we better at this point. <laughs> oh man, uh, you know we did a lot of audio testing um, for the show in terms of levels and stuff. I don't know if we if we tested out what what my cackle volume was going to be. No, you peaked. Yeah, you peaked when yeah. you cackled. Uh, <laughs> okay. But what are you going to do? You know, we uh, we can only do so much here. Um, how about since you already mentioned it? We go to the uh, the thing that that also had multiple perspectives this week, the after party on Apple TV Plus. Yes, well, and this I think is um, an example of a, a of a place that I am really enjoying hanging yes. out in, and not just because it's uh, Marin County uh, <laughs> or, or or fictionalized uh, Marin County. Um, what a what a fun cast, um, you know. Having a lot of fun with the uh, with an interesting premise. Uh, yep. This is it's such an easy show to watch. Um, Did you listen to the funny. album that I sent you? <laughs> I have not listened to the album that you sent me yet. Oh no. my god! You said it last night, right? Yes. Uh, <laughs> it. There is, for those of you with Apple Music, I know, but I'm guessing it's on other platforms as well. Maybe not, since it's Apple TV. Um, if you look for Xavier, who is the character played by uh, uh, Dave hey, Franco. Franco in this show, yeah. his song, X Marks the G-Spot, along with a, a whole EP of tracks, are all on apple music it's four tracks it's called r.i.p xavier the ep and there are <laughs> there's i'ma live forever which is uh filled with uh ironic jokes about the fact that he's dead um there's x marks the g-spot which is his single and it's just right. filthy. And that that's all to the show that's why i didn't click on it really i was like well i know that song you know okay I mean? but so. there's a whole song i mean i don't think you hear the whole yeah. thing in the show and there's then there's there's also a song called Duet, uh, you know, which sounds like do it if you say it fast enough, but it's do wet. 
and the chorus is there's way too many things that I like to do wet and then he lists things that he likes to do wet well <laughs> it is uh, like it's it's perfectly of a piece with the show which is totally ridiculous and really very funny Yes. Have you gotten to uh, – so each episode is kind of told from the perspective of a different character. They're you know, talking to a detective about a murder that's taking place, so you get to kind of hear their version of the night. Have you, you, have you seen the Ben Schwartz uh, episode yet? I've seen them all, yes. Yeah, yeah, okay. And, like, I, I thought the music in that would – I mean, it's a, basically a musical, and that, which, as you know, I do not enjoy. Yeah. I thought that was tremendous. Hilarious. I, all of them. Yeah. So, um, and Ben Schwartz it's, it's is really so, well so funny. And Tiffany yeah. Haddish is so funny. John Earl. I mean, there are just so many people in this show who are hilarious. Um, and Sam Richardson is a, a pretty tremendous straight guy. The whole thing is, uh, just a delightful ensemble. Yep. Yeah, it really is. It and the really genre, is. And... the genre jumping that they're able to do with the different perspectives is like a fun. Unlike the last duel, the purpose of these different perspectives is just to have more fun, and it totally works. Yep, yep. And by the way, I think the like mystery aspect of the show works too. You know what I mean? Like totally. I'm interested in uh, who the killer is, and I have yeah. no idea to this point. So I completely um, agree. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, uh, it's, it's fun. I've been devouring these. Um, and, uh, well, I do have one, for one more drop. Okay. Go for it. About who the killer is. Yes. Theory. Okay. Yeah. Do you want me to share it? Sure. Okay. Only in the last episode, last night, the horror episode, uh, you know, sort of thriller episode with Lana Glazer's character. Um, I thought, what if the guy nobody remembers is the killer? Yeah. I I almost think that that is... Too obvious? Um, too obvious, yeah. Like, I feel like he is the red herring that they want to point He might at. be. You know what I mean? Okay. He might be. I was kind of curious if if you thought that because I couldn't tell if it was too obvious or not. But... He he he's not so much a character in the show, other than like they remind you he's there each episode, right? Yeah, I mean, I think that they they have some fun with it. Like um, yes, but but he's not Schwartz like. Episode, or I think it's the Alana Glaze episode actually, right? Like there's that scene where he's talking to her at like at Ben Schwartz's car. Yes, and uh, Ben Jeff, Schwartz Jeff is like, "Who's that? The like, valet?" <laughs> well, first he like just walk right past him. You know what I mean? And yep. like, act like he's not there. And then he's like, who's that? The valet. And then a lot of places like, yeah, I think like they are just openly like, it's not just that people ignore this guy, but it's like, he's openly desperate for people to acknowledge him. And they're right. openly desperate to be mean to him. And, and they do that in all sorts of different funny ways. Yeah. Um, yep. Yeah. There's just really, a lot really of funny stuff there. going on here and a lot of funny people doing funny things. Um, yeah. It's such a deep end to I me. Mean, like we got this far and, and didn't mention a lot of Glazer till like right till the very end. Yeah. Uh, did we even say Ike Barinholtz yet? Or no, like, no. And, and he's really funny too. Yeah. And I, you know, I think a lot of the lesser known names uh -huh. I think are also pretty funny. 
so, you recognize the um, uh, the you know replacement uh, Kirsten Bell from The Good Place is one of the Jennies. Yes. The pregnant Jenny yes. is. Uh, yes. Yeah. I, I, her name's like Tiara Sukar or something like that. She's been a lot of things. Yeah. Um, yeah, everyone is great. It's really great. Yeah, God, John Early, Jenny. just every time I look at him, I laugh. Yeah. I saw um, him do stand up at uh, Lollapalooza. No, sorry. <laughs> Outside Lance. Um, and he was just so funny. I, it, it has always stuck with me. Oh, interesting. I, I, I'd like to see his stand up. Uh, I know I mentioned this earlier too, but I also really enjoyed this current season of search party, current and final season of search party. So yes, um, yeah. you have mentioned that's worth checking out for people. Yeah. Um, if people who like John early, I should say, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I need to get there. It's just, I'm a busy guy. I understood. No pressure. Um, it feels like you're, Feels like you're pressuring me a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So we're now officially out of things that I really liked this week. <laughs> oh, man. Tough. <laughs> so let's talk about, uh, you want to talk about single drunk female? Now, uh, I should confess, um, I watched this, uh, I don't know, whatever the last day we did the pod was. So it's been it's been a little bit of a minute since I saw these two episodes. Um but I just, I, I don't know, it was just way below my level of expectation in terms of uh, how, I, I don't know, I just thought that this was going to be, I, I felt like it was going to be charming. And I, I did not find it charming, I guess is maybe, maybe the easiest way to say it. You, I think, took, took it better than that. Is that fair? Yeah. I mean, look, this just rides on, uh, on charm for the first couple episodes. So, you know, I, I got like, yeah, I, I mean, you, right. Like the lead has to be, you have to like the single drunk female and find her kind of, you know, uh, I don't know. I don't know. If antics is the right word. You know what I mean? But kind of her working through her emotional pain, um, <laughs> through substances, yeah. Like you have to find that amusing and enjoyable for it to work, right? And I just, I just. Well, I mean, but she's sober by, you know, episode two, right? I mean, it, it's right. There's there's nothing about this in the first two episodes that I think like distinguishes it as a like super exciting show to watch or anything. Other than I really do think she is an excellent actress and engaging and entertaining. And I do kind of find that enjoying. I like the charm works for me for now. I, I mean, I, I think it's going to have to develop itself a little more, but there's a lot here. And that was actually the thing that struck me the most is like, it's really just all about her and her antics, as you say, in the first couple episodes, but there are a lot of things here to get into. And it does not handle the addiction part of it without some seriousness. So I could see this being a really interesting show if they go that direction. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it, it's all a noble pursuit. You know what I mean? I, right. I think conceptually, I I would I'm interested in the show. I just did, I just didn't like the way it came off, at least through two episodes. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, I would give it some time, but I see your point, um, and I also find the lead performance pretty satisfying. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you could 
I mean, the show is set up for her to be a star, right? So, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's sort of a pivotal thing. And obviously, it's somewhat subjective to just say, like, well, I don't know. But, yeah, it, that just didn't didn't work for me. And I wanted it to. So, um, you know, I guess, I guess it is what it is. But that was a tough watch. Huh. Um, I'm surprised that it was a it. tough watch. Yeah, tough watches, maybe. That's strong. Um, but I didn't have fun. That's what I'd say. <laughs> I still think that's uh, – I'm a little surprised. Like, I thought it was pretty fun. But, again, it is – like it is taking a pretty serious look at the alcoholism part of it, and I think that's like, of course, there's going to be some unfun parts of that too. Yeah, I don't know, and maybe maybe it's just because this is a show that's aimed at like, you know, a younger audience than like say the flight attendant, which is another a, a, you know, different show that kind of pops into that sort of about you know is our lead character having substance abuse problems, but like something like a show like that is just so much. I don't know. Just handled it so much more skillfully, and the lead was so much more likable. Uh, but maybe you know, maybe that's a tough, that's a high bar to, to clear. I think it's a very good show. Yeah. Um. What about uh, the woman in the house across the street? The woman in the house across the street from the girl in the window. I got that right. Yeah. Um. So. This has a. a, a Here's what this has going for it in my book. Um, Kristen Bell, who's great. A, a, a lot of really goofy, stupid laughs if if you are tracking the satire part of it. Like, there are some lines and some, like, you know, coincidences and some tropes that are just done somehow both subtly and super loud that I know both my wife and I were just like giggling like idiots. Uh, but it's not <laughs> sophisticated, you know? Um, and then it's really, really well crafted in terms of its satire. Like it, it, it knows exactly what it's spoofing. But it's not like a scary movie laugh a minute spoof at all. Yeah, I, I, yeah it's interesting to hear you say that because I would say my issue was definitely I felt like the parody satire balance was off. Like, if this is a parody of these movies, these lifetime mystery movies, I think is what they're going for here, right? Maybe and maybe I just don't know the source material well enough, but um, I like it, it's I didn't get enough of like the hard laughs for that, and I didn't feel like it had enough sharp things to say to be a satire. So I was right. like, I, I'm just sort of confused tonally about exactly what this well, is trying to do. It's not unfunny; it's funny at times. Right, but I don't know that there is anything to say about these movies other than LOL though. Right. Right. Other than so, they're ridiculous. Right. Like that's the end, but I don't feel like the generally the movie is not treating that or the show is not treating these movies like they're ridiculous for the most part. Well, except see, when I, it think, you know I would I mean? say the show is, but, but Kristen like, it's Bell pretty serious about the mystery that's happening. Right. Well, the performances are not right. Yeah. 
the performances are taking it seriously, but I think the show realizes how silly it is, and that is where most of the laughs are for my money. Um, gotcha. I, I, yeah. I mean, I definitely think the show realize. you know, you wouldn't make it if it didn't realize these movies were silly, right? Like, that's, that's right. why it's here. Yeah. I will say, too, um, like, I don't think either of us are, are going to rave about this. I seem to have liked it a little better than you, but uh, they did kind of melt away on the TV. They're pretty short and pretty like intense in their own goofy way. So to me, they sort of flew by. I think we watched four or five. Oh, wow. Okay. So I'm, I'm really a good chunk of the way through three. The first, the, the first episode is kind of, is not really short, right? Like, it, yeah, the first one's a little long. longer. <laughs> yeah. But, but I would agree with you on the successive ones. They do, they do go by relatively quickly and there seem to be roughly a half hour so yeah um so yeah i don't i, I didn't love this um uh, but i can see a world in which i will continue to watch it and see if it improves uh okay. should i have the have the bandwidth for it <laughs> all, um, right. all right i mean netflix <laughs> is pretty good at streaming uh you know whatever your bandwidth yeah oh, no oh, netflix will be there <laughs> It was more of a question of whether I will. <laughs> Netflix got time. Netflix got lots of time. Um, you know, we'll we'll see. Apparently, apparently, Netflix got time and uh, not so much stock anymore. Um, should we? We kind of ran out of homework already. Uh, I have a couple other things that I, I we've sort of talked about offline that uh, I thought maybe we could discuss. Okay, um, let's do it. You want to talk about you want to talk about Boba Fett at all? Sure. Did you catch up? I did. Yeah. Uh, I assume the Timothy Oliphant uh, return was was enjoyable. <laughs> it, it was that that uh, the most recent episode, right? You know, the last two episodes of the show definitely took took a bit of a turn, right? Yeah. Like episode five is essentially uh, uh, from a different show. Well, it's an episode right? of the, the Mandalorian, Mandalorian, basically, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, and then episode six, I actually, I if you if you had said, all right, which got which what cameo are you talking about, or you know which return are you talking about, I probably would have guessed Olafan. Yeah, but you could have easily been talking about uh, Rosario Dawson, sure, uh, or even Luke Skywalker, or even Baby Yoda, or. Or baby Greedo, which apparently is the thing that people are, are freaking out about. So wait, what? Um, yeah, there's a baby Greedo. I'm sorry. What's the name you're saying? Greedo. Greedo. Yeah, you know the the green guy. Greedo, classic Star Wars character. The, what am I missing? Are you not familiar with Greedo from the original Star Wars? Um, I mean, I'm sure I am. I don't know the names that well. I'm not a big. He's name. like, oh, that guy. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. Yeah. And so then, right when he's on the, the other commercial airliner, there's a little. Yeah, yeah. So sure. anyway, um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry, we got. I got a little nerdy there. For yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um that's funny. So no, yeah, I, of, I did not lots, know his name. Um, in in. Uh, in that episode. And I I think it does sort of I mean it's the Mandalorian episode I feel like is weird because 
it's the best episode of the show yet by a, a fairly good amount. And it sort of makes you go, oh, wait, yeah, The Mandalorian is a better show. <laughs> yes. Uh, with a more interesting lead than this one. Well, um, I, I, yeah, but I, but I do think the last two episodes of Boba Fett sort of bring it, at least for now, bring it into the same territory. Like, this is, I think, bringing the Mandalorian and Luke and Baby Yoda into this and sort of combining everything into canon, if you will, makes this show a little more interesting. Not, And I was enjoying it, actually. I don't think Boba Fett's such a bad lead. And, you know, it connects some dots, this story. It does. And I, look, I, I didn't mean that so much in like, uh, you know, this show's terrible or Boba Fett's terrible. But I just mean The Mandalorian's better and more interesting. It was really good. Um, the Mandalorian was really, really good. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, his, I don't know, his presence, I felt like, you're right. Some of it is that they're tying these worlds together. Um, but I do feel like he, his presence really invigorated these last couple episodes of the show. And I'm excited to see sort of where it goes uh, from here. Um, it is, very, I mean, like, I mean, we've seen lots of bottle episodes, right? But it's a, it's pretty unusual that, like, a show would just sort of become another show. <laughs> yeah. In, in the middle, you know what Except I mean? Except that this is, like, what's really happening, I think, is, like, Disney is trying to consolidate Star Wars into a, a sort of concrete storyline and timeline. Um, yeah. Like... This provides a glue to where I feel like a timeline order watch of Star Wars would be like an interesting and useful thing. And I believe you'd go Phantom Menace into the regular trilogy, but with Rogue One, I guess Rogue One first, then the original trilogy. And then this comes after that. And I think, you know, connect some dots to get you to what happens in the final trilogy. It's, uh, and, and like, I'm in favor of that. Um, so, so wait, so, uh, how, but this can't, can it come after the original trilogy given well, I guess where, it, the state of Skywalker, uh, when we see him in this episode, right? Like, so this maybe is this, a, is... this is kind of a youngish Skywalker. No. Yeah. So I was thinking about that. Um, and it is, it does seem like a youngish Skywalker. Uh, so maybe it's before Return of the Jedi, but also. It definitely felt pre-Jedi to me. That's, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. But. And I do think also, I think at some point, I could be wrong about this. I think you see his hands. And he has the prosthetic, right? Right, so that's it, what I was going to say. Have, have to be post-Empire pre-Jedi. No, see, according to what I'm seeing on the internet, Mandalorian and Boba Fett both take place after Return of the Jedi. So I think it's just that when they aged Luke... I, I don't know how they do that, by the way. Is I was going to ask you, what, how you how you felt about all of that, the, the digitizing of, of Skywalker. So... I know there are people 
who don't like it. Um, but so it is Mark Hamill. Uh, and they're using body doubles and, uh, you know, technology to de-age him. And it makes him a little, I don't know, shimmery, bizarre, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like... It's, it's slightly unsettling, uh, I, I, but let me say this. Yeah, it's un- unsettling, that's the word. That's exactly the word I would use for it. But it's I think... Unsettling. It, doesn't that kind of work in a way? Like, for me, the fact that, like, weird post-Return of the Jedi, pre-everything falling apart Luke is just, like, a little ethereal, almost. <laughs> it kind of works. He really reminded me of, like, a yogi, right? Like, of what? Like, of a yogi. He's, like, basically, oh, like, a, yeah. like, a, like, a sky hippie, pretty much. Uh-huh. <laughs> Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, Jedi's but, uh, essentially are like space hippies, right? Yeah, Except they kind of are. Now, I was going to ask uh, before, what uh, what do you think Grogu's going to choose? Oh, I mean, I you know, I think if you're if you're doing odds, right? Like the Force has to be at least minus two fifty, right? Man, it, it really? I don't know. I would say it's almost it's almost even odds. I guess I'm saying the force. <laughs> I guess so. Because, you know, he's a Yoda, right? Like, and Well, yeah, he is a little green guy, but he doesn't know the legacy of that, right? Yeah, but he's but he's clearly a bit of a natural, right? Sure. But maybe that's why he says I can already do some stuff. I'm going to go with my pal. You know? Yeah, or I don't maybe, know. Just a, just, or that doesn't this. seem very Star Warsy to me. But well, I, but what if he's like, going to reject? What if he's going to reject Luke's uh, Force dichotomy and say, like, I can be a Jedi and also love this uh, Mandalorian man? Um, well, or they could do something where he takes the the man and, and then finds his way back to the path somehow, right? right. Like that's also a very Star Warsy thing. Totally. Um, but uh, but yeah, I, I would lean hard that he picks the force. Okay, but in any event, that's interesting to me too. Like I I I have found this show pretty entertaining throughout, and it is getting better. I guess is why I was telling you maybe to check back in. Yeah, I like it a little less uh, than you did initially, but I do agree that it is getting better. And episodes five and six, I think, uh, om- almost certainly the best to date. Yeah. Yep. Um. Let's talk a little NFL for a second. Yeah. <laughs> it's, you know, it's one of those things. Um, we have spent, right, like the last couple of weeks sort of reveling in uh, insane finishes and all the stuff the playoffs is and the Super Bowl the is NFL. probably going to suck is what you're getting to, right? <laughs> the, the NFL. As the, no, that's not what I'm getting to at all. Oh, okay. Uh, the NFL is cultural institution. Um, but the problem with pro football oh, yeah. in America is, right, it's mm-hmm. like you just can't get away from the fact that ultimately this is a game run by terrible people. 
And a game that does real damage to human beings, not just on the field, but off the field. Yeah, it doesn't value its participants as human beings. And most of the time we think of that as the players, but it kind of pretty clearly extends to the coaching staffs as well. Well, yeah, I mean, it extends to most coaches of color. I think white coaches do pretty well, to be totally honest with you. Um, Hmm. It is, um, when you look at what has happened this week, Yep. it is, um, it's a, has it's a there whirlwind been a of feces. It is. <laughs> yeah. Has there been a worse week for the league in quite some time? I, this is, I combined, I feel like it's worse than the Gaffney situation for the NFL. Well, is it though? Because... Like, here's what's so funny. Like, the Kaepernick situation was legitimately nothing. If they had never reacted to it and just said, hey, it's America. I I think it would have gone away very quickly. But this is really something, and it's not getting nearly the attention that Kaepernick did. Yeah. So, I wonder, is it, it like, on its face... If you just talk about the actual things that are happening between the Snyder case and the Flores case and, you know, just all the poo that the NFL is wading through in the week before the Pro Bowl, you know, two weeks before the Super Bowl, it it's unimaginably bad. But in reality, I, I know you don't expect this to affect Super Bowl ratings, and I doubt it even affects Pro Bowl ratings, which shockingly is always one of the highest rated television shows of the year. This, These guys, the reason they operate with such impunity is because they have yet to see consequences. Because they have the Golden Goose, right? They know, they know you want to watch this stuff. They but... have, yeah, they they have the Golden Goose. That's, the, that's what it is. And as long I... as we continue to scratch and claw over piles of one another to get the golden eggs, they have us by the balls. <laughs> they do in some ways. Uh, you know, I mean, I think Daniel Snyder uh, may be losing his individual grip on the balls. Uh, but that's, uh, that's, but that's just, yeah, but that's just one man who will be replaced by yeah. another man who's only marginally but, better, right? Right, or, or, or not. Could be worse. Hard to imagine worse, but could be. Um, but I think that we, I think there's an aspect of this story, and this is kind of also part of why I would say that it's worse than Kaepernick in a way. The Flores story or the Snyder story? The Flores story. Okay. Um, you obviously, you have the, uh, the pettiness of the NFL owners and, and I, I think we all sort of suspect that the same fate that Kaepernick had is what awaits Flores uh-huh. um, in all this. And so in that sense, they're similar, but there's a whole other aspect to this that I think is really central to the heart of where football is heading, economically at least, um, which is that there were real allegations that these games real allegations real evidence these games are not always on the level that teams are losing intentional and well, that when you 
when you look at how heavily football culture is tied to gambling and fantasy and how those ties are deepening in rapid rates, the one thing that absolutely has to happen for all of that to work and for all of that money to be made is for people, people need to feel like these games are on the level. And so when you well, have, uh, when you have multiple allegations now, right, because there's allegations in Miami and in Cleveland that ownership is paying coaches to lose. Like that's a whole separate problem. Right. Well, um, I mean, it's, it's not really a new problem and it's not i don't think the crisis that you're talking about because of the space in which it exists i mean if this was major league style paying a coach or a gm to lose because you wanted to move the team out of town that would be a different thing if it was you know referees being paid to uh, achieve an outcome that would be a different thing this is tanking and we all know about tanking, and we all believe it goes on. And if a GM got a $100,000 bonus for engineering a tank, like, it's bad, but I don't think it threatens the respectability coach, We're not of talking most... about GMs, though. We're talking about they, he's offering to pay the coach to lose the games. Yeah, but the coach said no, and the other scenario you're talking <laughs> yeah, about... but the offer was still made! Well, but, but again, I don't think that... To me, that jives with exactly my understanding of these tanking scenarios which is usually the the owner and or general manager would rather lose to improve their level of assets but almost no NFL coach is going to do things to engineer a loss they're just not these men are not built to do that if you heard Brian Flores's answer it's exactly what you'd expect from an NFL coach i work too hard from that this, what Certainly from that NFL coach, yes. But absolutely. from most of them. I work too hard. I love this game too much. It's provided too much for me to disrespect it like that. That's what I think almost every coach would think about that sort of offer. And by the way, they're making plenty of money that, like, bribing them is probably not going to be that powerful. He came in way too low. <laughs> yeah. So, like, so, you know, uh, I don't think that's a that big of an issue. Game. That, now we're talking, maybe. Maybe, but, um, but I doubt it. Because again, like he's comfortable, and th these guys care about football deeply. Or you don't become an NFL head coach. You never right. get well, there. And that's that's part of also part of the insidiousness of this request, right? Is that a this is a thing that happens a lot to black coaches, right? David Culley this year, perfect example. Like they're often hired in places where the expectation is for them to lose, right. and yet, right? Like the it still gets put back on them, right? Like when the Dolphins released their statement about this in the first line, they're putting Flores' record right, right there. It's like Brian yeah. Flores, who was twenty-five and twenty-seven. Well, you were—he won more games than you were asking him to, to win. Right. You were hoping he'd be twenty and thirty-eight. Well, you know but again, I mean? that's so, just like. Uh the reason I don't think any of this stuff is an existential threat is because th none of this is surprising, right? I'm not surprised that the only thing that's mildly surprising is that he went to the coach. You go to the GM for that sort of thing. And, you know, you hope that they can see the wisdom in it. Because, look, it's probably the right idea. I'm not sure it does you any good to win a couple extra games at the end of a non-playoff season when your team is in desperate need of talent. 
Okay, well, but I, it's, I, I, I don't know, right? Because the expectation of Flores' first season, right, was that they were going to be the worst team in the league. And then he coached them to, I don't know, what was it, like five, six wins or something like that. Like some sort of level of respectability. And then the expectation shifted to, okay, great. Now we expect you to make the playoffs. So, um, well, that's you know, my point. Like, I don't know that he did himself any good with those five or six wins or that he did the franchise any good, but that, that again is something for a GM and an owner to consider, not a coach. The coach has to coach. And the the job of a coach is to put players in the best position to succeed. And so, you know, you take away his players. If you want them to lose, you don't pay him a bribe, but again, that's just an owner being stupid and rich and clueless. That's not, that's not (laughs) new. What's news to me is that a, a coach of color was willing to put his career on the line to really try to get the NFL to change their hiring practices because I do think it's a problem, and I don't think the Rooney rule has done what it, it was supposed to do or, you know, ostensibly supposed to do. So Look, I think that you you, um, you – the Rooney rule is a rule. Right. So like there is no rule that is over going to overcome the application of said rule by people with racial bias. Right. That's what we're like. The rule is just a tool ultimately. Right. So if people in their hearts have bias and want to turn around, want to skirt around said rule, they're going to. There's no rule that like is going to avoid you from doing that. And that's, that's what we're seeing. And that these are the results that we see. Like we came into this and that's the thing is like the timing of this is sort of immaculate in that we're, we're coming into an off season with what, eight openings and probably as good a crop of black coaching candidates as we'd ever had. And if you think about all the hot names of assistants Right, whether it's you know the the enemies and the D'Amico Ryan's and the Raheem Morris's and the Leslie Frazier's, uh, and there's some Leftwich, and th- there's a couple I'm leaving out, right? On top of Flores being the most accomplished coach suddenly newly on the market, you're thinking that you know I think the common perception, and I actually had a conversation with a, a, a friend of mine about this before the hire started getting made. The common perception was that, hey, some guys are really going to get their chances. Well, now there are, what, two openings left? Um, now that the Jaguars filled there, two, three? Uh, yeah, and, and we're over. And I think we're going to finish over, um, which is wild. It's wild. Um, you know, when you look at statistically how many black coaches have been fired with a winning record, Uh, and how many coaches, how, how few black coaches get second chances after they're fired. Um, it's wild. I heard Jamel Hill bring up Jim Caldwell. Yeah. Um, as an example, this guy who took the lions to the playoffs, the Detroit lions to the playoffs two times in four years was fired by the lions at nine and seven. Well, nine, nine games in his final year. And has yet to see another head coaching opportunity. Yeah. Like the Lions I can't imagine that happening to a white coach. No, I mean the the Lions handling of 
Jim Caldwell is the best argument that there needs to be change that you can find. Let's just let's talk about this for a second, okay? Dave Caldwell was the coach for four seasons. He had one losing season and three winning ones. One of them was 11 and 5, okay? Jim Schwartz was the coach before him for five seasons. He had one winning record. Rod Marinelli before that, three seasons, no winning records. 0-16 is last season. Before that, Mariucci, three seasons, all losing. Before that, Marty Morningweg, three se- uh, two seasons, a combined five wins. Before that, Bobby Ross, one, two, three, four seasons, one five hundred, two winning. So nearly as good as Caldwell, but not quite. And his best season was about, nine and seven. Right. But, and what about after Caldwell? Hold on. I, so before that was Wayne Fonts, who coached for a very long time. All right. And even Fonts in, let's see, eight, nine years, eight and a half years of Fonts, Barry Sanders on the team. Right. Three winning records. The <laughs> same number as Jim Caldwell. Since Caldwell, their best season is 6-10. and ten. And, you know, we'll give Dan, Dan Campbell a break, but obviously Matt Patricia was an apocalypse. So this is a franchise who had its best four-year run in my lifetime – under Jim Caldwell, and this guy can't get another job. He yeah. can barely so, get another say, interview. Right. You you call that an indictment on the Detroit Lions, and it is. But it's also that's the, the rest of it's an indictment on the league. Yep. Um, and and it's you know you you could you just see it in the numbers, and I'm I'm fascinated to see. This is a class action suit. I'm fascinated to see how many other coaches saddle up and join this because. They've all, we we know they've all got stories. Yes, you know, and, and it's going to be all things have circulated to many people off the record. And frankly, the league has more than once said this is a problem. Well, but here's the, the tricky thing: of the rooting rule is a is a de facto admission that it's a problem. Well, first of all, that. But let's go back to the Rooney rule for a second, because you know you made the point that like you know if owners are racist, this is. What good will it do? And it's a, it's a good point. But I would add to that point that, you know, look, and I'm not trying to excuse NFL owners because a lot of these guys are outright unconfused racists. Um, but as far as the Rooney rule goes, even if you're not like a virulent racist, you're just someone with some unconscious bias because most of your life has been lived around white people. Right. Yeah. By the way, that's all I'm saying. I I am not accusing anyone of being a virulent racist, although I suspect it's quite possible that some of yes. them are. Right. Um, I'm not accusing. I just think this is bias. I'm not saying it's racism. I think people. Well, are just so that's sort of the point, right? Biased. And if yeah. you're if you're even if you're interviewing black guys, and even if at the end of it you're like, oh, uh, I didn't know a black guy could be that well spoken because you're a racist, like you're just going to feel more comfortable hiring the white guy. And I don't have the stats in front of me, 
But I don't think that the Rooney rule has improved. I mean, clearly, it hasn't improved the actual hiring part enough. Yeah. Because I mean, we currently have one black head coach. Exactly. So that says it all. Exactly. And 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 how and what percentage of the coaches are ex players, right? And now, so if you consider the percentage of ex players that are black, and the percentage of coaches that are ex players, it's completely insane that yeah. there is only one black head coach. And by the way, oh. he's inarguably one of the best. What five coaches in the league? Yeah. Yeah. And that's right. <laughs> if you, the other thing I think would is if you look at, if you just blind coaching candidate A, B, C, all of these guys, right? And you look at some of the qualifications or experience level of some of the highs, especially now, kind of in this sort of post McVeigh era, you know, I think you're going to see that the guys who get, who get these gigs with limited experience, you know, in the more speculative, well, let's see what this guy has. That guy's always won. Always. always won. 100% of the time. Always. Um, and it continues to happen that's, when there that's are. exactly the bias you're talking about, right? Because that yeah. person is winning that job through the interview. Right? Well, Somebody and the, goes, the oh, Texans like are a great example. Yeah. The Texans are the perfect example of this because going into this year, they knew it was going to be a shit show. They knew it. The quarterback situation with Deshaun Watson's legal problems, the the you know they had been offloading the good players on their roster for a couple of seasons. They knew, and they hired David Culley, a man with years upon years of NFL coaching experience, just so qualified. In fact, that people were like, "Well, why now?" I mean, this guy's been around for twenty five years. He has forty five years of coaching experience in college and the pros. Like, why is he suddenly a candidate now? And they let him go 4-13 and in a season where he had to start, what, a third-round rookie quarterback? And then fired him. He won more games than anybody thought that he would win. And and maybe maybe more to the point, they were more competitive week-to-week than anyone thought they would be. Even though, look, they got blown out plenty. They were terrible. The roster was awful, but they hung in a handful of games and they won four of them, which again, better than most would have expected. Beat the number one seed in the conference. Yeah, but, well, they, they, yeah. Or did they not? Did I get that wrong? <laughs> I think they, they, didn't they? they lost 28-25 in the last week of the season. They might have beat them earlier with Tyrod Taylor. I, um, I thought they did, yeah, but I could be wrong. But but you know Tennessee has its I, own problems. I, That's beside I had the point. The point stands. <laughs> this team was set up to be bad. They were better than expected, with under worse circumstances than expected, and they fired the guy after one year, which is supposed to be unheard of for NFL coaches. Everyone says one year isn't enough to know if a guy's any good, and this guy's been in in head or, or in coaching at the college and professional level for 45 years and you yep. give him one season and do you think david cully will ever get another job i'm i'm skeptical i am too i am too you know i mean if he was good enough to hire you could think of as like wow i don't really feel like that guy got a fair shake yeah it's, it always and, happens that's right 
At, at that, and that that's why this is a real problem, and that's why, you know, those are the guys. Because you're not – I don't think Brian Flores is going to get a Byron Leftwich to join the class action, right? Guys who still have head coaching opportunities in front of them, even if they have felt the disrespect, even if they have felt like they were invited to sham interviews in the past, like, I don't know how many people are brave enough to throw away – or likely throw away the opportunity to do this. There's only 32 of these jobs, and to, to be in this this deep, like a Byron Leftwich or someone, you have to want it really bad. So, yeah. you know, uh, look, I, I, don't, I think there is a point that where a Byron Leftwich joins, but it's only a point in which the tide has gotten to the point where it's like, well, they can't, they can't petty us, they can't blackball us all, right? You know what I mean? Like, that's yes. where it has to be. And I think for, it has to him. start with the David Cullies of the world. Yeah. Well, I think it's the Jim Caldwell's of the world, I think. Yeah. Jim Caldwell's a perfect person to join this. Yep. So There are a lot of guys who deserve jobs or chances at new jobs who are not getting it. And if it, it at that point, it's like, well, if you're not going to give me the opportunity I deserve anyway, I might as well tell somebody. Yeah. So – you know, you said you said sort of at the at the start that this isn't nearly as big a story as the the, the Kaepernick thing, and and I agree uh, with that. I don't think that's incorrect. Yet, but, right? It's definitely because yet. If they because the Kaepernick story, so much about also it kind of hitting that you know for political. I mean, let's face it, Trumpian headwinds, yeah. right? But hold on. <laughs> Here's what this is really about, and and this is no shade to Colin Kaepernick because he did what he had to do, and he's put his money to good use. But he settled. And and the way this becomes a big deal is if Brian Flores refuses to settle. Because what's really at stake here is the NFL's secrets. Yeah. Oh, I believe I believe Brian Flores very much wants a discovery process here. I agree because that when I at least to hear him speak, that sounds like a man who has a specific goal and settling will not accomplish it. Yeah. I mean, he decided right. This Belichick text was like last week. He yeah. he, he decided in less than the space of a week that I'm going to do this thing that um, could potentially light my career on fire. I'm going to burn it all down, even though I know it may burn me down, too. Basically, and, I'm going to set this he's, fire. He's not at 70. Like, he's 40 years old. You know, no. you know what I mean? Like, he's saying, he's I'm, going to, I'm, I'm going to set this fire, and I'm going to hope that somebody tosses me a life extinguisher before I burn up with it. Yeah. I mean, I mean that's... I think he's, yeah. I think he's got a good chance. I think, he, I, think he's, I think he's in a good place to make a principled stand, and I would bet you money that he decided this. At some point, while he was having dinner with the Marins, knowing that he wasn't getting that job, which Maybe. is a terrible place to put people in. Yeah, and that, I don't know if he, you've seen the. I don't know if you've seen the uh, Giants' long statement this morning, but the gist of it is like Bill Belichick doesn't know what he's talking about, which is the worst argument I could ever imagine hearing. Yeah. Nobody is yeah. going to believe that Bill Belichick doesn't know what he's talking about. Nope. No, especially especially when they did the thing that he said they were going to do. That's right. <laughs> right. So, um, it's uh, yeah, like even I, if it's little, true, look, it's just terrible for the league. Like even if Bill 
Belichick was operating off of unconfirmed rumors that weren't actually totally true, no one's ever going to believe that. So, you know, again, if this can actually get some some people behind it in terms of the class action and get into court, it has a chance to be explosive. Uh, just look at what look at all the fallout from the Snyder investigation that has nothing to do with Daniel Snyder. Yep, yep, and it's. I mean, I, I understand the league is going to have a you know the week before the Super Bowl, and the league's going to have their press conference with the commissioner that they always do. Um, but to me, is it not insane that we have yet to really hear from Roger Goodell beyond a blanket statement to the league? About, That's not going to say that stuff? That's his thing now. He went from human shield to uh, invisible man. <laughs> it's look, I am not a, uh, a, I'm the furthest thing from, uh, a, a Pat's conspiracist. I, I believe deflate gate was a real thing still to this day, uh, that deserve punishment, but I don't, I, I, I can't, you can't deny that there's a market contrast to the way that the league has handled that versus that scandal versus this one and yeah. several others since. I, ju- I, I do think that has more to do with Bel- with uh, Goodell and the owners not liking the response that his presence uh, engendered than it has to do with the specific investigation. Because if you notice, he just hasn't been anywhere the last few years. They, they've hidden him away. It's almost like they put him out in front to take all the bullets, and then they were like, God, everyone's always talking about how bad Roger Goodell is. What if we just hide him away and he takes bullets in like a dark room by himself? And that that is. But they're not going to be like they're not going to be able to hide him away before the Super Bowl, and that's no. But he's not going to answer those questions. For as not Kaepernicky as the story, you know, as not Kaepernick level as maybe the story has, has yet to rise to. Right, the greatest player in the history of the sport officially retires. And it's completely knocked out of the news cycle by them. So, like, it's still a pretty big deal. And I, I, I just like I don't. I think the the, all, the entirety of that press conference is going to be about that. Like, if he tries to sidestep, he's just going to get follow ups. I know disagree. I, mean? so um, I think you'll be you surprised know. how quickly it turns into. Can't wait for the Super Bowl, huh? <laughs> like, I don't. He's any- just. He's just going to say, I can't talk about a legal case that's ongoing, and that's it. He's not going to say anything. That would be my prediction. Is, is there any chance that any of this reaches a – right? Because we, I think there was a point somewhere during the Kaepernick thing where I took a bit of a break where I was like, I don't want to spend – I don't want to support football with economically. You know what I mean? If I, if I can help it, right? I didn't buy Sunny ticket that year. I didn't – you know, lots of stuff. Um. I don't know if any of that happened to you. Is there a point I, where I don't have that option that, as a sports that, radio? Uh, you're right. You're, yeah, I guess that's true. Guess you don't have that option. Yeah. Um, you know, like I'm not. I don't think I'm going to watch the Olympics this year. I just because I just don't want to to just kind of. I just I can't enjoy the sports watching of it. Now that said, the World Cup is also an, an incredible feat of sports watching, and I'm going to watch that. So some yeah. of that has to do with my interest in the Olympics, obviously. So, um, you know, I do wonder, like, I know that the NFL seems completely impregnable. Um, but I do wonder if there is a point where people just go, ah, it just doesn't make me feel good. You know, I don't think we're anywhere near that point, but I, but I, it may be out there. there you know, that number may exist. You know what I mean? 
I don't know, man. The uh, just keeps growing and growing the the level of attention. So I don't know. Yeah, it, it's uh, I don't, it, you're right. It's 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 a tough thing to to deal with because it's man, clearly the most valuable piece of content in the entertainment universe, right? Yeah. So yeah. I forgot the World Cup was this year. That's kind of exciting. It is kind of exciting. You know, I, I went to that World Cup qualifier. Yeah. Um, probably shouldn't have those in the middle of winter in Minnesota. <laughs> I, you know, look, uh, you know, I am uh, not a big fan of the weather here, right? Like, so I'm not one of – there are people here who are like, oh, actually, winter's awesome. You know what I mean? Right. Those people, I'm not one of those people. You know, people. we call those people crazy people. I call it fascinating because <laughs> I don't even think they believe it, but I think they really want you to believe it. Okay. Um, but regardless, so I'm well aware. And my first thought when I heard about this was like, you're going to play an outdoor qualifier here in February? That seems insane. But I also think we've gone a little overboard here. Like, Canada's playing in Edmonton in January and everybody thinks it's adorable. You know what I mean? And Edmonton is further north and colder than here. So, but like, this, it's a very common thing that teams do in qualifying to play at altitude. You know, Landon Donovan talked about, like, I can't tell you how many games were played in the hottest part of a country in the middle of July, in the middle of the day, to maximize the weather advantage for them. Like, that's just what teams do. Teams play at altitude. Teams play at – it happens all the time. So, like, it was a curious choice, and I think tough on the players and maybe unnecessary for a team of Honduras' quality. But I think we've gone a little bit overboard in talking about it as an embarrassment or some sort of evil thing. Well, I don't care. Um, I would never call it an embarrassment. Here's what I think. Uh, it's not it's, – it's an incorrect attempt to employ a strategic advantage. It's incorrect. It's, it's poorly conceived. Sure. In theory, Americans are more ready for the cold than Hondurans. But most of these Americans are not ready for the cold. And more to the point, extreme conditions equalize the playing field. You yeah. should you should host the game against the team that you think might be better than you in the cold. The team that you're five goals better than on a neutral field, you should play them on a neutral field or, or you know – a nice field with a home crowd and maybe you win seven, nothing like yeah. you don't well, now, need remember, this game. This game was originally scheduled to be in your town. Um, Same difference. And it got, and it got moved uh, because of can't because Canada moved their game, which was the, you know, the away game in the middle. So, um, so they wanted to be in the Midwest because it was closer to uh, Ontario where they were going to be playing the Canada game. Right. So, um, so there is a somewhat of a practical element to all of this. And I don't think that they were, you know, like we have to employ this as a strategic advantage in this specific match because they were clearly willing to play it where they didn't have that advantage. Yeah, so, I mean, it's just silly is the point. There's no reason for it. I, it's not a, you know, a travesty. It's just silly. Yeah, it's a little silly. I, I, I'll, I'll grant you that. And I think it goes back to, um, you know, the people who run that sport are, are, are also greedy. Um, 
and wildly corrupt, and in some cases more nakedly so than the NFL owners. You know, some of them are literally the exact same people now. Yeah. Um, and some of them are worse, right? Like, you know, the NFL for all its Jerry Joneses and uh, um, Stephen Rosses, like, isn't run by the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, um, it's. You I don't know, know that I'm ready to agree that you know the uh ruling family of saudi arabia are worse people than the snyders yeah fair enough i you know i look i'm not here to defend the snyders but i will say as far as we know they haven't murdered any journalists yeah so, but i think that's circumstantial more than it's uh <laughs> okay. like if, if right, do you think if daniel snyder thought he could get away with it don't you think he'd he would murdered a journalist but but I'm I'm going to give him the I'm going to give him the credit that he has yet to do so. All right, <laughs> the yeah. very the very little bit of credit. That's yeah, that's what you've earned from me, Dan Snyder. I will not call you a journalist murderer. Okay. Um, I mean, I I can't call him that, but I have no doubt he'd be comfortable being that. <laughs> correct, correct. But I'm he hasn't done it, so on right. that one point, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. You're time. kinder than I am, um, but also I think. Uh, <laughs> Like this podcast started with, uh, you know, the existential uh, expiration of dogs, and now has gotten into journalist murder. I think we got to go. <laughs> Killed all kinds of people today. <laughs> oh man! All right, I think that's fair. Should we talk about homework before yeah, we, we get out of here? Let's let's sneak that in. We're already uh, going pretty long here. Um. All right. Let's uh let's talk about uh I think we have some kind of fun stuff lined up. I have to remember what it is. Um Aziz Ansari's return to do a stand-up special. Yeah. So um I think that's interesting given some of the stuff that's happened to him. He's obviously made a few public appearances since. Um but I don't know. Has he done a whole stand-up special since all of that one? I don't down? think so. Yeah, so I'm curious to see. Uh a lot of buzz about Pam and Tommy the uh Limited series on Hulu um, uh, about that couple's relationship. I've heard it's quite good, so I'm excited okay. to check that out. Uh, Murderville. This is yeah. this is one of yours. Well, um, it just popped up for me, and it looks interesting. Yeah, and I didn't mean that in a like. Uh, this is on you because I think it, had I seen it first, I probably would have suggested it as well. Um, but it's uh, it looks like a cop show parody with Will Arnett and Sharon Stone. It is, yeah, so, well, no, it's Will Arnett, um, and apparently it's based on a similar British show, but I think each week he has a guest star, and they try to solve a murder together, and I think it's also sort of, like, unscripted. It's not entirely clear to me. Gotcha. But it is a comedy, right? It is definitely a comedy. Is Will Arnett is like poking a dead guy's nipples? So yes. I'm just going to assume that that is there. Yeah. Here is the description uh, from IMDb: um, Eccentric detective Terry Seattle teams up with clueless celebrity guest stars to investigate a series of murders in this improvisational crime comedy. All right. Yeah, sounds interesting. So we're and, gonna check that out. Yeah, Shannon, uh, Sharon Stone. Um, Marshawn Lynch, Ken Jeong, Conan O'Brien, and uh, Kumail Nanjiani are among the pictured guest stars that I, I see here. Yeah, I might skip right to the Marshawn Lynch episode. <laughs> I mean, that sounds incredible, doesn't it? Yeah, 
<laughs> let's give Marshawn Lynch needs a TV show. Um, <laughs> the uh, the other thing we're going to put in the homework this week is Reacher, which is the Jack Reacher television series on Amazon Prime. Uh, and as I understand it, they have a normal sized Jack Reacher this time out. So, um, what do you mean normal sized? Well, there's normal size and then there's Tom Cruise size. <laughs> oh, I would not call uh, this Jack Reacher normal sized though. Well. As I understand it, this Jack Reacher is the size that the Jack Reacher character is actually supposed to be. Okay, so Alan Richardson yes. is the name. Uh, what you mean is an appropriate sized Appropriate size, yeah, fair enough, fair enough, correct. Yeah. Appropriate to character. <laughs> yeah. So obviously Tom Cruise is going completely the other way. From, yes, from Jack yeah, Reacher. totally. Yeah, Alan yeah. Richardson yeah. is a, uh, a fit six foot two. He looks like he could... Uh, <laughs> Really hurt you if he wanted to, which I think is what you're saying uh, and should make sense for Jack Reacher. Correct. Correct. <laughs> you nailed what I'm saying. And it also right. has, um, uh, it also has, uh, um, what's his name? Uh, uh, Malcolm Goodwin, who uh, is an actor I quite enjoy. Uh, and not not sure I'm familiar. Maybe that probably it's probably one I know by the face. You definitely know him. Uh, he was in iZombie. Um, he was in a show called Breakout Kings that I don't I don't know if you would have watched. Uh, but I enjoyed. He's been in a lot of stuff. You'll recognize him for sure. Okay. Um, and uh, I think we can wrap it up. Sorry again, Nicole Holof Center. Holof Center. Holof Center. Sorry, I think is the correct yeah. pronunciation. But who cares about that? Yeah. As long as you uh, are aware that she's alive now. <laughs> I am aware. Okay, bye. This game's in the Admiral refrigerator. The door is closed. The lights out. Butter's getting hard. The eggs are cooling, and the Jello is jiggling. So long, everybody. And do me a favor. Have yourself a tremendous evening.